0: If you'd like to follow along this morning, be reading from Genesis chapter 37, verses 12 through 22. Genesis 37, 12 through 22. Now, his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. He said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him to the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, They have gone away, for I have heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went with his brothers and found, or went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that the fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of the hands of saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. Then he came that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore them to his father.
1: Well, it's certainly good to see each of you. Glad you're here with us. It's always a joy for me to assemble with the saints on the first day of the week. Have you ever looked at a situation and said to yourself or even to someone next to you, I'm sure glad I'm not responsible for that? I think Tom and I did that all day yesterday evening as we were watching Tennessee play football. I think we both said, you know, I'm glad we're not responsible for that. but what if if I were responsible for all things? What if no one else was willing to do the work or to even encourage those who were willing to do the work? I think that's a question that each of us must ask ourselves. What What if I was responsible? Do I rely upon someone else to take care of that work? Do I shirk the responsibility that I have, or am I being diligent in what God expects me to do? Notice some people from history. Helen Keller. She was born deaf and blind. She not only learned sign language, but she earned a Bachelor of Arts degree. She wrote 12 books and several articles. She was a fundraiser for the cause of the blind. She campaigned for women's suffrage and workers' rights. She was awarded the Presidential Medal of Honor and she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. I don't think anyone would have faulted her if she had early on decided that she would just as soon live a quiet, peaceful life in solitude. Especially given her insurmountable odds that there was no way she could overcome. But she didn't do that, did she? What about Beethoven? I love classical music. I listen to it every day. He began to lose his hearing at the height of his career. And eventually he became completely deaf. Now have you heard of his Symphony Number no. 9? Symphony Number no. 9. He never heard a single note. Maybe one of his better known works. When he began to lose his hearing he cut the legs off of his piano and sat it on the floor so he could feel the vibration. And he wrote Symphony Number no. 9. I think he may have, or a lot of people in the world, would have simply given in to the suicidal thoughts that overtook him at first, and he could have just become another poetic tragedy. But he didn't. Albert Einstein, Alexander Graham Bell, Leonardo da Vinci, Thomas Edison, Walt Disney, Winston Churchill, all of them are said to have demonstrated signs of dyslexia and other learning disabilities. They did poorly in school. They were told they were stupid, talentless, and unteachable. That they would never amount to anything beyond just mediocre. That's what they heard. Now they all went on to do some fairly impressive things, didn't they? They could have believed the negative voices and and been the smallest versions of themselves that they could have been. But they didn't. And speaking of, Thomas Edison failed 10,000 times before he discovered the proper recipe to make a light bulb. Of course, he said, I didn't fail 10,000 times. I discovered 10,000 ways not to make the light bulb. As if that weren't enough, 10,000 failures. At the age of 67, his factory burned to the ground. He lost millions of dollars of equipment, countless lab records. And when he looked at the loss, he made this remark. He said, there is great value in disaster. He said, all of our mistakes are burned up. Thank God we can start new. He could have simply stopped, but he didn't. John dominique Bobby. I don't know if you've ever heard of that individual. I hadn't until I did this research. He was a well-known French journalist, but he suffered a stroke, and it resulted in what is known as locked-in syndrome. He could neither speak or communicate in any way other than by blinking his left eye. Now, someone might look at that situation and think, you know, what in the world could you ever contribute to the world? Why would you even want to try? But do you know he wrote two books? And the person who helped him, they had a specialized alphabet, and when he said the correct letter, he would blink that one good eyelid, and they would choose that letter. It took about two minutes per word. He wrote... Those two books, each one over the course of about ten months, four hours a day, and about 200,000 blinks of the left eye. I think if anyone ever had a right to claim writer's block, it was him. But he didn't. What about the Christ? The only begotten Son of God, left the glory of heaven, took upon himself the form of a man... He came and he lived among men, was mistreated by his countrymen, by his family, by those in power. He was ignored, he was mocked, and ultimately he was murdered, giving his life for each of us in the most heinous way possible. Yet he didn't throw in the towel. He didn't give up. He didn't alter his message. He didn't stop preaching the message of God. He didn't stop trying to get to the good that exists in most people. He didn't stop, he just kept going. He continued to preach the message of the kingdom by which he established with his own blood that very kingdom, Acts 20, 28. He could have stayed silent, but he didn't. Now what do all of those accounts in the history of mankind have in common? Well, circumstances really mean nothing. Limitations really mean nothing. Obstacles really mean nothing. And we learn that each of us must say within ourselves, I am responsible. I am responsible. It's up to me. We need to decide how we react to circumstances, not how the circumstances cause us to react. We have to decide who we want to be. We have to decide how we want to live. We have to decide how we are going to answer the questions that this life throws at us. Each of us must do that. With our limitations or because of them. Because we've all got them. Do we see them as challenges or as just minor setbacks? Are we able to overcome those things in our lives that we look at and and we say, Well, I could never do that. Well, Helen Keller did an awfully lot for someone born blind and mute, or deaf and blind and mute. What about the French journalist, Locked in syndrome, mind completely intact, and very few ways to get that information out. We have to decide to let these obstacles either stop us or allow us to blaze ahead. I think we have the examples set before us of those blazing ahead. What if I were responsible in our narrative read for us from Genesis? Joseph had to ask that question. Now whether or not he realized it at the time, he was asking the question, was he responsible? Of all of the people that we read about in the Bible, surely, surely none surpassed the godly piety Of the young man Joseph. He was a man both near and dear to God's heart. He loved God and God loved him. He was righteous and he was an example and is an example of all the generations who followed him. He is the true life account of a man who was sold as a slave but became the Savior to thousands. All because of the overwhelming providence of God and His own character. For us to understand the courage and the dedication of Joseph, we have to understand a little bit about his background. We have to understand why it was he came to find himself in a pit at the hands of his brethren. What happened? What brought that about? I think if one were to be able to gather his brethren up at that time in the history of man, and say, tell us a little bit about your brother. I think first of all they'd say, well, well, number one, he's a tattletale. You can't do anything around Joseph. He runs right back and tells dad what we're doing. Notice Genesis 37 verse 2. Moses said, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. They were misbehaving and Joseph told his father. Now he did the right thing. He should have told his father. But they didn't see it that way. I think the second thing that harmed his relationship with his brethren and caused him to be in a pit in the ground was his father loved him best you would think that that Jacob, of all people, would understand the problems that result in favoring one child over another. Notice Genesis 37 verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. Now this gift of the coat or probably better translated the tunic with sleeves, was a, was a problem. That was a great issue among those men because it elevated Joseph above his brethren. Now, it wasn't the normal wear. The normal wear was a short sleeve tunic that hit about the knee. Therefore, you could go out in the field and work and it wouldn't get in your way. See, that's not what Joseph wore. He wore a long tunic with long sleeves. You couldn't work in that. It was a mark of exemption of work. It indicated that you would inherit what your father had. Now Joseph, wasn't he the youngest at that time? But they didn't like that. Which brings us to the third reason they hated Joseph. He got the birthright. He was given the birthright. Notice 1 Chronicles 5 beginning with verse 1. Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but forasmuch as he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given unto the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel. And the genealogy is not to be reckoned after the birthright. For Judah prevailed above his brethren, and of him came the chief ruler, but the birthright was Joseph's. Now, It's not recorded until Genesis 49. The mention of the sin that caused that birthright to be taken away. But it had already happened in chapter 35. The fourth reason for their hatred of Joseph, and perhaps the most troubling to these boys, was the fact that Joseph had dreams. He had some dreams about some things. His first dream was some sheaves bowing down to him, and of course everybody understood that the brethren would bow down to Joseph. They didn't like that dream. And then he had a dream about the sun, the moon, and the stars bowing down. And that indicated that not only would they bow down, but mom and dad would also bow down. They certainly didn't like that. And it does appear that Israel himself was, was getting a little bit tired and becoming weary of these dreams. But notice what Moses said about it, Genesis 37, verse 11. He gives us a little more information. He says, and his brethren envied him, but his father observed the same. Now that's very similar to the statement made about Mary when she was told about being with child with Jesus. Luke 2, verse 19 Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. It appears that Jacob considered these things. I probably didn't completely understand what it was about. But these events caused Joseph to be in the position wherein he found himself. And he found himself responsible for a whole nation of people. Their very existence depended on on this young boy of 17, jerked up out of his father's home, sold off into slavery down to Egypt, put in prison for a very, very long time. Now what does that have to do with us? It doesn't make any difference what happened to Joseph. He's been dead for thousands of years. Unless we can make application. We may find ourselves in a position one day that the very existence of the church depends upon us. Now think about that. That's very likely that that could happen. And it may be happening as we speak. Now Joseph's account began because he was the favored son. That's our first point. Joseph was loved by his father. And their very special relationship can be seen in the life that they led from day to day. He was sent down to Shechem to check on his brethren. Now, that's a very important statement. Why is that important? you know what that meant? That Jacob sent Joseph and said, Go check on your brethren. They're out feeding the flock somewhere. Well, it meant he wasn't there. He wasn't working in the fields next to his brethren. Why? Because he had the tunic with long sleeves. They didn't like that. So Jacob sends him off, and he, he meets this stranger, and he's looking for his brethren. He said, and I heard them say. Now why is that important? Why would this stranger be interested in the comings and the goings of Jacob's sons? Well, if we back up a few chapters in Genesis to chapter 34, we remember when Dinah was defiled? And those brothers went and rescued her and they destroyed a city of men? And Jacob had something to say about that, didn't he? Notice, verse begin with verse 25, or the passage is 25 through 31, but we're going to notice, I think, about verse 30. Jacob said, "'You've troubled me to make me stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites.'" I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed and my house. These boys had a bad reputation. Not only was Jacob or Joseph telling on them for misbehaving, the whole area knew about them, and they were afraid of them. Joseph was in fact loved by his brethren, or by his father, but he was loathed by his brethren. They hated him. Before he got to him, he's out looking for him. The stranger sent him, sent him to Dothan. They looked up and, and they said, Behold, here comes the dreamer. I can just hear it. I can just hear him saying that in their hatred for him Oh, here comes the dreamer. Now we've got him. Now think about that. Their brother that they hated so badly. They saw an opportunity to get rid of the source of their problems, or at least that's what they thought. That wasn't the source of their problem. So they decided that they would kill him. They're going to throw him in a pit, an empty well, and then they're going to go back and tell Dad, well, an animal killed him. This is all we found. So when he got close enough, they kidnapped the boy. They stripped him of his clothes. They threw him in that empty well. And as his brothers were sitting down to lunch, not being bothered too much by what they had done, they look up and they see a bunch of Ishmaelites coming. They say, wait a minute. Let's not kill him. After all, what good is that going to do us, right? Let's sell him into slavery. They'll take him off down to Egypt. He's just as good as dead. He won't be bothering us any longer and we'll get a little something out of it. And that's what happened. They sold him off. Now what or who could have blamed Joseph for just giving up? I mean, he's 17. Do you remember when you were 17? I remember when I was 17. Boy, I tell you, I wouldn't have had that fortitude. I would have been upset, angry. I would have been mad at anyone I could have come into contact with. And I would have probably done everything I could to reach out and hurt anybody I could. But Joseph quickly went from being the favored son to not someone who had just simply given up on life. But he went to being the faithful steward. That's our second point. The faithful steward. Joseph had a servant's heart. He was going to serve and he, for the most part, first and foremost, was going to serve God. He was taken down to Egypt and he came to be in the possession of Potiphar. Now Potiphar was a very powerful and high-ranking individual in Egypt. He was the captain of Pharaoh's guard. Pharaoh trusted this man with his life. Because of his faithfulness, even though he had been Sent off into slavery. God prospered him, Genesis 39 verse 2. And we can be comforted knowing that even when things look dark and dreary in this life, and we may not understand how we got to where we are. I don't know that Joseph at 17 understood why he was in that pit. I don't know that he understood his behavior irritated his brethren. I don't know that he understood probably being a little bit immature, as most 17-year-olds are, that he understood how that affected people around him. So he's probably very confused at this point. But we find ourselves like that. But we understand as we read some of the last words the Lord spoke, Matthew 28, verse 20, And I'll be with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. That ought to comfort us. God will take care of us. Paul told Timothy this. He was relaying to him some things that happened. 2 Timothy 4, beginning with verse 16. He was talking to him about being put into prison, having to go to court, standing before the the authorities. He said, at my first answer, no man stood with me. At my first defense, at the first time I had to give an answer for myself as I stood in court condemned, he said, But all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Not only did Joseph prosper personally, those around him prospered. Because of Joseph's great faith and the prosperous the prosperous life that God gave him in his situation, Potiphar prospered because Joseph worked for him. Genesis 39.3 He had a proper attitude. He had a work ethic that was unparalleled. And he decided he would do all that was right. And because of that, Potiphar was also prosperous. Now Joseph, he had a servant's heart. But we're going to notice something else about him that caused him to get into even more trouble. Joseph had self-control. Just like the devil today, he's never going to be idle for very long when the followers of God begin to have good things happen to them. Now we don't know much about Potiphar's wife. She's much like the rich man of Luke 16. What is his name, by the way? Well, we're not told. Isn't it sad when someone is not even worthy of having their names mentioned by the Holy Spirit? We don't know her name, but we know a few things about her. We know she was an ungodly woman. We know that she was a very sinful woman. We know that she tempted and tried and accosted Joseph on a daily basis to try to get this young man to sin with her. He's 17. He's been ripped out of his father's home. Where's the God that's supposed to be taking care of him? Most of the world would be asking that question. So why not enjoy sin for a season? After all, Potiphar deserves it. He bought me as a slave. That's what the world would think, right? That's not what Joseph thought. He was responsible. He didn't even probably realize it, but he was. He could have presented a hundred reasons why he should have sinned against Potiphar, but he only named one why he shouldn't. It's a sin against God. Genesis 39 verse 9. And just as Paul commanded Timothy, Joseph fled that youthful lust, He got out of there. He got away from Potiphar's wife. And he was punished for it. Remember, he went to run. She grabbed hold of him, kept his coat. Then she called for the guards and said that the the Hebrew slave had assaulted her. And so once again, we find him in prison. He goes from being the favored son to the faithful steward. And now he's just the forgotten slave. That's our third point. Even in misery, though, Joseph still impressed those around him. He was thrown back in prison, and there's a great likelihood that Potiphar is this jailer of which is spoken. So he would have known this young man's track record. He was thrown in prison, and because of his faithfulness to God, this young man didn't give up. He continued to live a life that God wanted him to live, and so he was put in charge of all the prisoners. God blessed him. He's prospering. And then, of course, that's when the other prisoners began to have dreams. And Joseph was the interpreter. While he was there, some of the former employees of the king of Egypt were in prison also. We read about the baker... And we read about the butler. Well, both of these men had dreams. They came to Joseph and the butler said, I had this dream, I've got this basket of bread on my head and these birds come in and eat the bread. What does this mean? He said, well, you're going to be hanged. You're going to lose your life and that's what happened. And the butler comes to him and says, I had this dream and I found myself back in the the palace of Pharaoh. And, And Joseph said, well, that's what's going to happen, but let me explain something to you. When you go back to the palace, don't forget me. And of course, the butler went back just as Joseph said he was, and sure enough, he forgot all about Joseph. He's the forgotten slave, right? He's impressive. He can interpret dreams, but he can't be remembered. So why in the world didn't he just stop and give up? What more could he do? I think we could ask some of these people we mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, why did you bother to try to write two books when all you can do is blink your left eye? Why bother to learn sign language when you're blind and deaf, you can't speak? Why write twelve books? Why not give up after about 9,000 failures in, in creating the light bulb? Why continue? Because they were responsible and so was Joseph. I don't think he completely understood at this time. But he was responsible. He was responsible at least to God. He didn't know what the end result would be. But he was responsible to God. Think about his life. Sold into slavery at 17. At about the age of 30. Promoted to the governor of Egypt. Second in command. Only Pharaoh had more authority. Now that's 13 years of either being in prison or being a slave. 13 years. Isn't that awful? Wouldn't it have been easy for him to have become discouraged and hopeless? Would anyone really in the world look down on this young man if he had just given up? I don't think so, but he stayed the course. He accepted the responsibility placed on him by God and he was rewarded for his faithfulness. The king had a dream and the butler remembered the forgotten slave. He told the dream to Joseph. Joseph was brought out of prison. When he interpreted the dream, he gave him the advice on the coming famine. Do you remember what the, what the Pharaoh said? Notice Genesis 41 verse 38. He asked the question, he said, Can we find such a one as this is? A man in whom the Spirit of God is? You know, if Joseph had been asked the question, Joseph, are you responsible for carrying out God's scheme of redemption? I don't know if he had realized at that time he was the man for the job or not. I kind of have an idea at 17 years old that Though we see this greatness of character in him, we see this piety in him, we see this moral excellence in him, I don't know that Joseph would have jumped up and said, I'm the man for the job. But his actions proved that he was. And because of him, we've been blessed. He saved a whole nation from a famine that would have likely decimated the whole population. And because of that, Jesus came into the world. He lived the life that He lived. Now we go all the way back to the beginning of the sermon. He lived among men. He carried the cross to Calvary. He allowed Himself to be murdered at the hands of wicked people so we can enjoy heaven. And Now I have to ask myself the question, what if I had been responsible for that? Would I be found worthy? Would we be found worthy? Just because hardship comes in this life, is that an excuse? Or does that mean in some way that God is not protecting us? I don't think so. I think when we look at the at the plan of salvation, we see God protecting us from the fires of hell if we allow it. Joseph was responsible. Each Christian ought to labor in the kingdom as if the kingdom depended on that Christian for survival. Am I responsible for the faithfulness of my children? In many ways, yes. Am I responsible for the faithfulness of my wife and for her ability to get to heaven? In many ways, yes. Yes. Am I responsible for the souls of men and women in the world who I am in close proximity to or places where I can go? Am I responsible for their souls? Well, in many ways, yes. Now, is that an easy task? In every way, no. But it is our task. Imagine what would happen if we all embraced the responsibilities That God has given to us. And we lived a life like this young man Joseph lived. Taking that responsibility and running with it. Why? We might even turn the world upside down. If you've never obeyed the gospel, it's your responsibility to do that. God has opened up His arms. He's asked us to come to Him through faith. Not faith only through repentance. Not just faith in repentance, but also confession. We know that we must have faith. Hebrews eleven six. Repentance is commanded. Acts three nineteen. Confession leads us unto salvation. Romans ten ten. Immersion in water—that's being buried with Him in baptism. Galatians three twenty six and twenty seven allows us to come up out of that water to walk in a new life, Romans 6, 3, and 4. That means living faithfully for Him until our time is over. And that is a responsibility that we cannot shirk if we hope to have eternal life. It's also our responsibility when we slip up in this life to ask God to forgive us. If we've done something in a public way, let's not allow that to stand between us and heaven's door. If you need to answer this Lord's invitation this day, whether in initial obedience to the gospel plan of salvation or in coming back to Him, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.